never say die! Going on. 14. Hello, everybody. This is 40 Going On 14, show 135. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And by the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I can deduce that you're a person of considerable breed- breeding, above average intelligence, and an interest in pop culture then and now. No shit, Sherlock. <sighs> I'm a person of considerable breathing. <sighs> <laughs> Elementary school, my dear Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so we are doing Sherlock Holmes. Now, I'm going to preface this with we are doing what we know of Sherlock Holmes. We are not doing all of Sherlock Holmes. There's so much. Oh, my God. I looked up the Wikipedia article on him, and I'm just like, there's like psychological profiles on him. There's, you know, his take on women. There's his take on politics. There's all this stuff, and it's really a lot of information for a guy who never actually physically existed. Oh yeah, but uh, we'll we'll get to this in a bit. He's he's got some interesting accolades for a f- uh, for a fictional character. Yep. So uh, yeah. So f- welcome to the Sherlock Holmes show. Yeah, there's more literature on this guy than there is on people that actually did exist. All people who existed. Yes, that is right. Never. <laughs> we we may not have backed up that statement. Yeah, please don't research that at all. <laughs> <laughs> just just trust us on this one. Yeah, there's more written about Sherlock Holmes than any other person on Earth combined. If you'd like That's to hear not at all about, what I was saying. If you'd like to hear about other people and uh, uh, things from days gone by, you can check out our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe, or tune in to us on Geek Life Radio Saturdays at noon in between stick twiddlers and turnbuckle throwbacks. Right. And if you uh, like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Which of? We have one. Ooh. Yeah, we have a we have a voicemail. Give me one second here. I am going to bring it up. Is this it? Hey guys, Justin from Portland here. Just wrapped the Goosebumps episode, and uh, knowing the amount of research you guys normally do for an episode, I was really surprised that you missed like one big option. Goddamn trains! <laughs> <laughs> I live in a town where we have a train that rolls through every morning, and this asshole conductor every fucking day thinks that he's got to sit here and blare the horn the entire way through the town, so wakes people up causes all sorts of nonsense i think he's done now we'll see anyways like i was saying uh you guys missed a very important uh topic for the now part what about the now for the goosebumps girl the irma gerd girl like we saw the picture then when she was super excited about goosebumps but you guys didn't give us any closure for the now i'm a little disappointed fellas i mean i come to you for the hard-hitting facts and 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 to make sure that i'm getting my 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 information straight when it comes to things like you know uh movies or or just different types of geek culture i want to know what happened then and what you guys thought happened now and you guys really forgot about the now on this one and i'm a little disappointed in you i can't believe you do that ah anyways boys love the show love what you do keep up the good work and i can't wait for your next episode well thank you yeah Uh, we i can actually address that meme the the burks girl meme uh there have been a couple of times when someone has posted a picture claiming to be the same girl in the photo and i I think they've eventually nailed down who it actually was but before uh someone was able to prove that she did weird characters for uh like pictures back in the day and this is who she is now uh there's like one it's like irma gerd i'm hot that was a fake like it's real easy to do that search and find three fakes for every real now of that particular meme so i'm gonna i'm uh 
gonna they're gonna go with this one. Uh, Vanity Fair. Yeah, Maggie Goldenberger. Maggie Goldenberger yeah. is who I'm on that page too. Yep, Peg's right. And that's the thing is like the controversy over a meme uh, probably was why we didn't bother to get back with it in that show. And funny as for the now, I read that I, I read this story like six months ago too, and it's funny how it's coming up again. We also have some uh, chatter on the Facebook page. Wait, what was Mike gonna say? No, oh. I was gonna say if you scroll down on the picture, you see her now. She's definitely looks, definitely her. Yeah, definitely her. Definitely less Irma Gerdish. But um, one of the things that uh, I uh, also, also was on here is apparently in 2012, R.L. Stein was asked about the Irma Gerd meme. And in the interview, uh, they asked me, do you know the meme Irma Gerd? It's one of the most popular internet memes in the past year. And R.L. Stein's like, yes, you're the third person to ask me about it today. <laughs> Interviewer, will you pose for a picture with me while wearing this Irma Gerd wig? No, no, I will not. I have to say, I don't understand what's so funny about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> She's, and, she got cute. She looks kind of like Zoe Bell, um, the stunt woman slash actress that Tarantino likes to use in, like in Hateful Eight, for example. Well, and I think the, the point of the story is that she was actually fairly cute back then. But uh, she was doing a character. She, like, made herself up to look like that. Yeah. That wasn't her, like, daily appearance back in the day. She was just being a goofy teenager. Yep. Yep. Irma Gerd, cosplayer. <laughs> All right. So, Dash, we said you had some uh, Facebook chatter this week? Yeah, it looks like uh, biggest uh, – we don't have any direct messages, but we have a post on the Facebook page from Karen saying, I dropped a Knuckle Face Jones reference yesterday. No one got it, but I thought you guys would be proud. <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday Knuckleface Jones and Stone Snagglepuss and Mr. No-Nos will be known across the world. Thanks, kids! <laughs> you know what I'm curious to know is, like, what was your reaction? Is it, was it just, like, a awkward chuckle, or was it kind of like the cold stone, we don't know what the hell you're talking about, silence? Well, there's so many different pop culture references. I think that if someone dropped something like that, I would just, like, pretend to get it. Like, <laughs> like oh, I saw that. Yeah, I'm obviously out of the loop on this one. I don't want to be left out. Yeah, Knuckleface Jones. That's hilarious. <laughs> but that is how we go. Let's keep going with that. <laughs> All right. So, um... What do you think, Josh? Is about that time? Oh yeah, this early on a Saturday, it is definitely about that time. That's right. So I got uh, I got a new coffee mug. Just tossing this out. I've seen that we are actually recording at like nine in the morning on uh, on a Saturday. And I thought this was a new intro. No, 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 no. <laughs> this weekend, coffee mugs. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is me. This is me uh, building up the chatter while I find it. Um, <laughs> stalling for time. Stalling while for you're time. Looking for the bumper. Right. Either way, <laughs> this coffee mug I got. I poured. Now, normally, you guys know me with coffee. I poured my coffee into it. It literally took half the pot to fill this thing. Yeah. I really like this coffee mug. Nice. All right. You need that much coffee at instant access. Right. Oh yeah. The bladder will love it too. Well, later. All right. Anyway, here it is. This week in music, movies. And TV. And elementary sports. <laughs> All right. TV. Yeah. So um, this weekend, December 4th, 1985, it's the release of Young Sherlock Holmes. So uh, music. On the week of December 4th, 85, the top song of the country was I'm Your Man by Wham. Followed close behind by Whitney Houston, Saving All My Love for You. See the Day by D.C. Lee and Good Heart by Feargal Sharky. I don't know. It was in What's this that? list. What I've never country? heard either one of those, those last two. This country? Yeah. I, huh. I just pulled up the top charts and it was like number four on the list. And I was like, what the hell is that? I bet you he got the UK chart. Now, with the exclamation point, are you always supposed to say it? Wham! <laughs> yeah, according, according to Deadpool. Yeah, according to Deadpool, yes. Okay. Sean... 
Son Fagel Sharkey, born in 58, is a singer from Northern Ireland. Oh. With a name Mo- like Fergal, I'd have guessed that, yeah. yeah Ireland or Scotland. Lead vocalist of the pop band, pop punk band, The Undertones, between the 70s and 80s. Huh. I'm willing to bet, Joel. I grabbed the wrong UK chart. Charts. Oh, he grabbed the UK charts. The top songs in <clears throat> some country. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, we're talking about young Sherlock Holmes. He's English. So. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's topical. In his. Ah, nice cover. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he worked with uh, Madness for a while, too. Nice. Cool. Okay. See? Can't wait to see how the rest of this goes. <laughs> <laughs> he only had music. Okay. <laughs> so also in December, Steve Vai, Greg Bissonette, and Billy Sheehan joined David Lee Roth in his first post-Van Halen outing as a solo artist sing- with uh, Eat Him and Smile. That was 85. That definitely seems like the type of crowd that, that David Lee Roth should be keeping. Yeah. They got together in December and then released Eat Him and Smile in july so i feel bad for steve vi in that group billy sheehan is awesome man what's wrong with Meh. billy sheehan he's a hell of a bass player Meh. oh stop it Can blue you... murder was a good band <laughs> <laughs> so while patrick is grunting we'll go on to movies uh casino knocks golden eye off as a top movie in america both amazingly good movies Think so? Silence? What? Casino is. You yeah, didn't Casino like Go- is, yeah. GoldenEye was fun. The game was better from what I hear. Yeah. Uh, movies released this week include Rumpelstiltskin and, holy crap. <laughs> I know, dude. T-T-D-I-D-W-I-D, the acronym of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, Tiny Tim's Dicks in Dallas with Young Deadpool. <laughs> what? Wow. I like you, Deadpool. <laughs> Tiptoe through the penis. That is obviously uh, things to do in Denver while you're dead. Obviously. It's not 85. Hmm? Things to do in Denver when you're dead was not 85. <laughs> you're, you apparently pulled 95. Whatever. This <laughs> is why we don't record <laughs> in the morning, folks. Right here. I, I was going to roll with it, but... Did I? Yeah, dude, it's Father of the Bride Part 2, man. None Whatever. Of this was, this it's is all totally 95. 95. It's just all 95. Hey, man, I've been awake for... <laughs> Shut I'm pulling up. the UK charts. Oh, it's too early on a Saturday. <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap. All right, fix this in post, Mike. No! <laughs> this weekend, 10 years after, it's the 10-year anniversary of <laughs> Young is. Sherlock Holmes. Mine was Whatever. actually 85, even though it was a UK chart. <laughs> This what? whole twee is just messed up. All right, so knowing what you know now, folks, we're just going to... eighty five, And hopefully they're for the United 85. States, too. Let me look at the TV. Is the TV... <laughs> no, the TV's in 95, too. I, okay. was like, I was thinking, I'm like, GoldenEye in 85. Wow. Okay, that was up. when Roger shut Moore up. was still doing her, Timothy Dalton. Hey, shut up. So, uh, <laughs> and Father of the Bride 2 also came out in 95. <laughs> Robert Parrish, director of Casino Royale, starring David Niven and Peter Sellers, died on December 4th. That is a really underrated movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's I love that movie. So well, I was David wrong. David Peter Sellers, it's kind of, and Ursula Andress. Yeah. Kind of hard to, so apparently work. I was wrong. That weed actually sent you forward in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. So fire years. up the flux capacitor here, real quick. TV on 1995. The top shows are ER, Seinfeld, Friends, and Caroline in the City. Uh, the TV miniseries Anne of Green Gables, starring Megan Follows. Yeah, I guess that's right. Megan yeah. Follows? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I just got really confused. I'm like, what was before? <laughs> <laughs> Premieres on December 1st. Uh, on December 4th, the Today Show becomes the highest rated morning news program and will remain so until 2012. And all of those things happened in 1995. Right. I'm guessing in 2012, the Today Show got bumped off by The View. Maybe. Oh, probably. That's just a, a completely unsubstantiated guess. Yes. Like in a drive-by? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the View. Barbara Walters had her gat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a weird oh, machine. God. All right. So sports in 19... I will add you with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> sports 1985 in the United States. On December 2nd, the Chicago Bears head coach Mike Ditka and defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan come to blows on the sideline in a loss to the Miami Dolphins. The Bears' only loss of the season on the way to the championship. That is like one person I would never want to get into a fist fight with. Even now, Mike Ditka. Buddy Ryan? I know. I mean, that, that he just doesn't care, I don't think. <clears throat> On uh, December 7th, the 51st Heisman Trophy went to Bo Jackson of Auburn. And uh, on December 8th, the 74th Australian Open, Stefan Edberg beats Mats Willander, 6-3-6-3-6-3, and Martin Natralovia beats Chris Everett Lloyd. <laughs> hey, you know what? You get no right to talk to me about this at all. No, dude. It's the fact that every time know, Martin like, Natralova comes she, up. You never get her name correct. Yeah, I never get her name correct, but do you know what I do get right? The day. The year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's got you there. Beats Chris Everett Lloyd, 6 2 4 6 6 too. And that it's not is even the first time I've done it. It's the second time. Remember, I did it. It's for like third or fourth. No, dude, it's it, it, She's my kryptonite. I cannot say her name correctly. <laughs> and she or her gender. That right. <laughs> because you know why? I don't care. That's funny. <laughs> to be fair, look uh, at a picture of Martina Navratilova. Yeah. True story. Right, yeah. She's like the Ellen DeGeneres of. Could tennis. have been mistaken for um uh, Martin back in the day. Okay. Yeah. Or Arnold Palmer. Or some British actor who plays a villain in a James Bond movie. Or Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I go Harry Potter, too. Or James Dean. Or Billy Corgan. What the hell has happened to this? <laughs> or Max Nicholson. <laughs> All right, so Sherlock Holmes. <clears throat> uh, again, another one of these characters that I want to say is pretty much known worldwide. The books Absolutely. have been around since uh, Study in Scarlet in 1887, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles, another one of the famous series, was serialized in the uh, newspaper The Strand in 1901 and 1902. Can I just say, how amazing is it to have something spring forth from your mind that's completely fictional creation of your brain that has such a life of its own that from 1887 to now, it's just as popular and just as huge now as it was then. I mean, they're still making movies. There's two different TV shows on the air right now. I mean, that's insane. Well, in a lot of ways, the books were ahead of their time. I mean, they were serialized, but like if you read some books that are from the same period or even 50 years later, like you can appreciate them classically, but not a whole lot of them have a modern seeming characterization and sense of pacing. And I don't want to say action because not all of them are have some sort of exciting fight scene or anything, but all of them have a sort of tension that seems out of place with the time they were written in. They, they feel more modern than other works of the era, just in my experience. That I, I agree with. I think that he, I, looking in looking at this, I actually saw no sign of any sort of <clears throat> detective or like mystery type novel as strong as this beforehand. And almost, you can almost claim that this uh, Arthur Conan Doyle created the idea of the solo detective bringing out things like eventually like Columbo. Like forensics and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, I mentioned at the begin at the top of the show that he's gotten some interesting accolades because of the character's insistence on using physical evidence and examining the minutiae left at the scene. Uh, he actually 
actually inspired generations of actual forensic pathologists for use in police work and ended up with an honorary degree, the only fictional character ever to do so in the field. Really? Yes. Well, and I'm looking at some of the other books that came out at this the same time. The only other one I recognize is The Canterville Ghost by Oscar Wilde. <clears throat> I mean, looking at the other books at that time, I, it's just insanity. It just blows my mind. Well, and the characterization of the deeply flawed, uh, practically mentally ill character, like he's inspired countless other characters, a lot of them not even detectives, uh, but like the primary like genius that can't function if they're not doing the one thing they're good at has been used so often since Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, well, Josh, I think out of all the, uh, the four of us, are you the only one that's actually read a Sherlock Holmes uh, book? Am I the only one that's read any of them? Yeah, I think so. And I was going to mention it also kind of, I think, in, in some ways spawned the buddy cop concept. You know, the whole uh, fish, the two characters that aren't similar, that feed off each other and are successful as a group, either as a police officer or whatever. I mean, you could also argue that point, too, I suppose. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, because you, you read the books because they were free on. Yes, they have long been in the public domain. So uh, as I talked about, and like our e-readers shows, I've. Had I've been ahead of the curve on reading stuff for free online or on handheld devices, and the complete canon, which is 56 short stories and four novels that were originally broken up into serials uh, published in magazines, uh, I'm pretty sure I've read them all, or if I have missed uh, a random short story or two here or there, it's just because there are so many. Oh yeah, and that's and that's the thing is that there are in the in the book section on researching this. It's not just uh, uh, Conan Doyle's books. Other people have taken on seeing this in the public domain. Other people have taken his writings and drawn them off into other stories all over the place. Yeah, the main uh, focus are the four novels and then uh, the collections, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, The Memoirs of Sherlock Holmes, The Return of Sherlock Holmes and His Last Bow. Uh, And then uh, you've got the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, which gets us into like the late 20s. Yeah. So, Josh, what did you think of the when you read them? When what? Uh, I was on, on a books? kick of all of of a bunch of public domain classic works, and these gripped me from the beginning. Uh, I, I was shocked even at the time at how modern seeming they were. And uh, there's there's always the big ones. There's a few elements that in any Sherlock Holmes story, they decide to replicate certain things from the canon. You're always going to have a retelling of the Hound of the Baskervilles. There's almost always going to be a uh, reimagining of Professor James Moriarty. Very often, you're going to have the only woman that uh, Holmes ever really considered, Irene Adler. Um, you are going to eventually have to deal with the final problem, which is the story of his uh, conflict with Moriarty leading to them both plunging to their apparent death over Reichenbach Falls Mm -hmm. and uh, him eventually coming back from that. And most versions of the character will also deal with the fact that he's almost completely incapable of dealing with humans in a normal manner, uh, frequently languid and uh, having sinking into depression, turning to addiction when he's not on a case. 
and uh, having erratic behavior and then suddenly snapping to attention, being energized uh, when he's on a case. And uh, you guys were talking at the beginning about how so many people have written about his psychological makeup and his history. It was considered the great game or the Holmes game to like deduce parts of his background that are not explicitly stated in the stories and to diagnose his mental problems. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, in take, I don't want to, I don't want to simplify everything you said, but honestly, Sherlock Holmes is quite possibly one of the most deep fictional characters that have ever existed. Um, I do agree with you on the, you know, for the stuff that I've seen, not that I've read the books, you know, because I haven't read the books, but um, just what you said with his difficulty in dealing with people, and I don't want to call it, you know, because I know you guys haven't seen the movie, but there is a is a movie, uh, The 7% Solution, which involves him, uh, The 7% Solution is not is actually a solution of heroin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's <clears throat> what he kept in a syringe. Oh, wait, I thought it was a, a solution of cocaine. Oh, no, you're right. It is it is cocaine. That's yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. He kept a solution that was 7% cocaine in a syringe on him. Yeah. And would inject himself with that. And that's where they had him uh, playing opposite. Uh, oh, we just talked about it. I forgot the other guy's name. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. So, but uh, so we get into the get into the movies. Well, and he also had what was his brother? Mycroft Holmes also. <laughs> Mycroft doesn't always show up, but he very frequently does. Uh, that's that's true. I, I left that off because if someone's cutting something to make sure they hit the essential homes, Mycroft is frequently first on the chopping block. But that's definitely a good common good point. Because uh, he parents, kind of what kind of parents are those? Sherlock <laughs> and Mycroft. Fictional, fictional parents, Patrick. Fictional. Well, I mean, he kind of counterbalances Sherlock, though, doesn't he? I mean, he's a bit more. Um, he can Rational. interact with people normally. He's a bit more normal. Not in every interpretation. Sometimes okay. he's less socially capable than Holmes. Oh, okay. that's what about in the something. books? <laughs> I mean, what does the canon, yeah, what does the canon say about him? It's it's unclear. <laughs> it's unclear what? Sorry. No, that's all the canon says right there. That's it. Yeah, it, it says boom. It, yeah. it says clear. boom. Okay. <laughs> Because it seems uh, like the, the drug use doesn't get touched on a, a lot in, in the modern series so much. And, of course, everybody has their own interpretation of the character, which we'll get to a, a bit more in the, the now with the kind of modern take and the different uh, stylistic choices. But at this point, um, anyway, moving on. Here we go. I, here's what I was trying to stall for time while you guys were pressing oh. me. Uh, <laughs> Mycroft is, in general, in the canon, accepted to have even better deductive powers than Holmes. However, he tends to be lazy and doesn't want to put in the physical effort necessary to bring a case to a close. Uh, there's a quote from uh, Sherlock saying he has no ambition and no energy. He will not even go out of his way to verify his own solutions and would rather be considered wrong than to take the trouble to prove himself right. Hmm. And I'm trying to see here. Oh, that's right. I was trying to remember who played him in the, the modern series, but we'll get to that later. So yeah. anyway. So yeah. So after a while, they're like, hey, you know what? This would make a great movie. Yeah. So in 1938, um, I posted in the in the show notes. We should post it on our uh, Facebook page also. But um, somebody drew a picture of sh- what they thought Sherlock Holmes looked like in this uh, Piaget, I think is the guy's name, 1904. And then Basil Rathbone was born and they said, you look just like this picture. <laughs> he, he is, this is, this is why Basil Rathbone has become the, the face of Sherlock Holmes in the movies, because he literally is what, uh, 
what Sir Arthur Conan Doyle envisioned as his kind of like, kind of like Daniel Radcliffe and Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even it though just like the the, the book, yeah. even though he wasn't the first person to play Holmes. I mean, you had uh, films in the silent era going back to the twenties, like when the books were still being written. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about like the first, I mean, because when you think, the thing is when you think of Sherlock Holmes, I mean, well, actually now it might be kind of difficult because to think of Sherlock Holmes, we got five or six choices. Right. But, um, you know, in like in the 80s earlier, before the, you know, the new Sherlock Holmes, the Guy Ritchie movies came out, you think of Sherlock Holmes, that was the head that, I mean, the face that popped into your head. Oh, sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> so yeah, 1938, uh, he was cast as Sherlock Holmes for 20th Century's Fox, uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles. And uh, Nigel Bruce was chosen to play Dr. Watson, another great casting for it, because you think, you know, again, think Dr. Watson, you think portly gentleman, gray mustache, you know, and, you know, that, and he, they, he fits, they both fit the bill perfectly. They shot 14 movies ending with Dress to Kill on this one, but uh, I think, how many of us watched Hound of the Baskervilles? Um, I, I have years ago. <clears throat> yeah, I, I watched, watched it. it in high school, and then I watched it again um, for the show, because I hadn't seen it since then. Yeah, I watched it, I watched it for the show, because I haven't seen it forever. Also, which something else that's cool is pretty much all these movies are free on YouTube. Yep, and they're good, pretty good. It's not like somebody pointed the camera at the television. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they do come across that. Yeah, there's a couple. Actually, a couple I discovered more than one studio out there that put some a lot of the old black and white movies up, up for free, like remastered too. So they well, look... you, you can tell they've been restored. There's some work that's been done to them to make them actually viewable. So. Oh yeah, but um, in this one, uh, it's the Hound of the Baskervilles, the Curse of the Baskerville Manor, the Curse of the Baskervilles, um, Sherlock Holmes gets called out to come and find out what happened to the senior Baskerville before his son comes to take over the manor. Uh, this all takes place in the Moors. Um, and I think Joel commented this. They're really casual with like, hey, let's have a seance. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're really casual. He's like, because the one character is like, my wife is, it dabbles in the occult. And so that's why she was out late last night in the cave. And yeah, well, like, I mean, hey, back let's then, have a seance. Back then at that point in time, I mean, it was it was kind of pop culture-y to, to be doing like the whole seance and Ouija boards and, you know, mediums and things like that. Absolutely. Spiritualism was the rage from the late 1800s all the way up through the Great Depression. It's one of the reasons you hear about Harry Houdini uh, when he wasn't practicing magic, going around trying to prove those people as frauds. Nice. Which is an interesting it was like an, thing. He was like the precursor to James Randi. Yeah, he was a big-time debunker. Well, it's an interesting thing, though, from from our perspective to look at it then and go, wow, you know, because now, I mean, it's it's acceptable, but it's not like, you know, there's a bunch of people at a party like, hey, let's go have a seance. All right. You know? Oh, I'm glad I wore my seance shirt. <laughs> right. Exactly. It would, it would, I mean, especially for, like, you know, socialites, it was very accepted back then. I mean, it wouldn't have been anything weird for somebody to be like, let's pull out a Ouija board at a party. Well, yeah. And what's kind of interesting about this film adaptation is that uh, Watson kind of takes the lead in a lot of ways. Um, I think kind of at Sherlock Holmes is nudging so that he can do his side work um, unnoticed. But yeah. it's, it's interesting to watch Watson work yeah, because I, they um, present him as a bit of a... Uh, a tutor or not a tutor um, a student yeah i mean it's i agree with you on this because it's like i was expecting more sherlock in this there really was not as much sherlock holmes in this one as i was expecting a lot of it takes place with um john watson interacting with the people at the basketball manor and then sherlock suddenly uh, haha it's me the uh, what was he what he was the crazy old dude that was trying to like oh, sell stuff yeah the, I'm, I'm the it's me been me the crazy merchant all along you know it's the he's Sherlock Holmes has been dressed up kind of like wandering around on the peripheral observing all this stuff 
I this is now on my list of books to read because I want to find out what happened because I know there's got to be more. Right. You know, what's going on with Sherlock the whole time this is going on. But um, over the years, there have been a lot of people that have played Sherlock Holmes, uh, including Josh, you had suggested about the, the silence, silent films, Buster Keaton. And Sherlock Holmes Jr. Uh, also, Christopher Lee has played Sherlock Holmes. Robert Stevens. Now, I tossed this one in here because it's kind of a weirder movie. It's called, from the 70s, it's called The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. But in this one, Christopher Lee plays Mycroft Holmes. So, cool. Uh, also, a made-for-TV movie where Roger Moore played Sherlock Holmes. And his mole. Yes. And this one I need to see now because Franklin Jella has played Sherlock Holmes. And I think that's, I may have seen it also. I don't know. So many you know movies I don't recall seeing. That's the only one where, where Sherlock Holmes was a villain. And an angry villain. <laughs> because I don't know if he knows how to play anything but an angry villain. <laughs> Aww. Like, so, and uh, John Barrymore. Yeah, played. that's a young John Barrymore. I mean, yeah. the Barrymore film would have been produced in the same time where the books were still being written. That's that's what's crazy to me about this. Like, you think of adaptations of classical literature, and you always think, oh, they started making movies and stuff like decades after the last book was written. And with Sherlock Holmes, that really wasn't the case. It was almost like our Marvel comic book movies now, where you had films and radio plays and stage productions that were active before the last books had come out or like yeah. game of thrones sure no yeah. that's you're right that's a much better uh analogy so yeah this one uh john barrymore 1922 uh also had uh, william powell in it well i think people were were hungry for entertainment number one but also they they, they kind of latched onto it and it became such a part of popular culture that what else are you going to do but capitalize on that? So it makes sense. And I'm trying to think of other – if there are any other big characters from the silent film era. I mean a lot of them are, were just like slapsticky Buster Keaton characters where you don't think too much about their characterization or history. Any of the, of the like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin kind yeah. of characters. Is, is there even <laughs> another example from the era that has survived? That uh, I – didn't I found a bunch of them and then I stopped. I'm sorry. Cur- currently, <laughs> I mean, the only other character I can think of from that time period, and I don't even know if there were books about it, is Fu Manchu, but I don't know if that was mm. that yeah, far maybe back. Not Fu Manchu, but, but um, oh, what's it? Uh, number one son. Charlie uh, Chan. Charlie Char- Chan. Uh, with Charlie Chan. Charlie Chan. Chan. I don't know. That's the only thing that comes to mind is that. But those were kind of those <laughs> racial stereotype uh, yeah, that yeah. wouldn't hold up and wouldn't last. Uh, Char- yeah, Charlie Chan would have been from the end of the period. Like the first Charlie Chan appearance would have been right before the last Holmes book was written. But okay. I think it's probably safe to say that the interest in <clears throat> movies is one of the primary reasons why this character is still so often reinterpreted and beloved today. Yeah, including the movie with Ben Snyder or Ben Sider. Now, the only reason I put this up is because the poster for it on IMDb has a I'm picture. Sorry. Here we go. I've seen her. You've been cider. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Uh, the poster has a ty- Tyrannosaurus Rex and a dragon and an octopus monster all attacking London Bridge at the same time. And the next one that he's making is Sherlock versus Frankenstein. So I'm going to guess this is not canon. <laughs> <laughs> this is more of a, like... Sharknado. Yeah. Monster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely on my list to see because it looks ridiculous. But, um, but yeah. So, there, I mean, there's some people that have definitely played it. Now, the other movies that have come across the years, I mean, we picked out some of them that we've seen. Uh, I'm starting out with actually a little bit more of the weirder ones. 1975, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother. <laughs> uh, how many, have any of you have any of you guys seen this one? 
go. No, okay. and seeing that as a Gene Wilder flick, now I kind of want to. Yeah, Directed and written by Gene Wilder, starring Gene Wilder, Madeline Kahn, Marty Feldman, Dom DeLuise, Leo McKern, and Roy Kinnear. Uh, just and now in this one, it's not Sherlock Holmes as being played. It's yeah, what's his name? Mycroft. Si- no, Sigerson Holmes. He's the un- yeah. Gene Wilder is Sigerson Holmes, the unspoken smarter brother of Sherlock. So he's the guy who solves all these crimes, and then Sherlock comes in and because he's better with people, I guess. But it is. It's definitely a Gene Wilder directed. I mean, the the final <laughs> battle between Sigerson and um, uh, who's the bad guy again? Moriarty. Moriarty. Moriarty takes place on top of a carriage with one person has a giant ceramic, like plastic hand that came off a sign, and they're slapping each other in the face with these huge hands. It's exactly so it's a what drama. you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it made me cry. Um, you know, then I think all of us at one point or another have seen young Sherlock Holmes, 1985. Uh, yeah, I I think all of us have seen it at least once. Oh, yeah. I saw it in the theater. I remember going. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 1985. We we saw a lot of movies, you know. Uh, I saw this just the other day. Yeah. Um, it was pretty good, you know. Directed by Barry Levinson, who is pretty famous in his own right. Yeah, and, uh, play Nicholas Rowe plays Sherlock Holmes, who's known for being in, he was in Lock, Stock, and, uh, Two Smoking Barrels, and The Seed of Chucky. Oh, and Ooh, he was, was also in Mr. Holmes. I didn't know that. that I gotta was, look him up. Now, nah, heck. Okay, so, yeah, but this one, uh, stuck in my mind for one of the trippiest, uh, pastry scenes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> scene was just weird. Yeah, the scene where, uh, Sherlock and a young, um, Watson get drugged and hallucinate, and Holmes has what is it was like his father, you know, yelling at him and this sort of all this parental stuff with him, and then with uh, um, Watson, it's all of these anthropomorphic pastries forcing themselves down his throat. And it, I won't lie, eighty five, I was kind of scared of pastries after this. <laughs> well, I didn't have that problem. <laughs> It was uh, it was produced now it's just by sexy, but back then it was kind of scary. It was produced by Steven Spielberg, and the interesting thing about our, this is it featured one of, if not the first, use of uh, CGI. Really, the 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 um, stained glass night. Oh yeah, I remember that. Was, that was computer generated? Good effect. Exactly. Okay. And it's it's only like ten seconds, but. Yeah. So yeah. So then um, after that, let's see. We got Dunk Sherlock Holmes. I, that is in the wrong spot. We're gonna talk about that later. Uh, Nineteen eighty-six. The Great Mouse Detective. Wait, we're done with Young Sherlock Holmes. Did you want to keep talking about Sherlock, Young Sherlock Holmes? I was I done with Young Sherlock Holmes in nineteen eighty-five. I've actually <laughs> never cared for it. Like I thought yeah, I the action. I thought the action sequences were fine, but I thought his like deductive powers were kind of stupid the way they came off it's like really the, the, your biggest deduction is realizing that the villain decided to make his name backwards yeah well i mean they were all younger then well and the fact that again once it was it was a bit more about focused on watson and his meeting him and kind of it was from watson's perspective once again well and that's a common thread you'll have in the adaptations for sure which proved to be interesting and it's very 80s i mean it's i i could take it or leave it i don't know that i ever need to see it again but um it was kind of dark for what it was and i thought it was kind of pointed at a younger generation but just like a lot of the other films of that time poltergeist and gremlins and some of the other stuff i mean it was pretty dark Um, there was more death than i expected right and then like i said the, the trippy sequences like the the opening thing with the the chicken or the whatever he's eating that comes to life and i mean it, it was pretty freaky considering you know um 
So uh, the great mouse detective we were talking about. Uh, how many of us actually saw this recently? Like, I vaguely remember this from back in the day. Yeah, same here. I haven't seen it recently. I, I remember mean, I liking s- it. I saw it as a kid, but I, I have no recollection of anything about it other than <laughs> that it was a, a cartoon. I mean, I remember that you've got uh, kind of a uh, Victorian England microcosm in the rat community where a young Olivia has her father, who's a toy maker named Hiram, was uh, taken away way by the villain who's a bat and they uh have to go to baker street to find the famous mouse detective basil a nice throwback there to the uh basil rathbone uh and what was cool is wearing a double build hat yeah the ultimate villain professor radigan uh voiced by vincent price nice you're so talking about the deerstalker hat yeah yeah um but yeah the the toy maker's skills uh professor radigan has got all these like clockworks his his big plan is to uh, make a clockwork uh, queen of England and uh, take over all of England. I do remember this now that I'm looking at some of the stills from it. And also, it's kind of neat. I was looking at the car- uh, the, the cast list, and it looks like there was a, a, a soundbite of Sherlock Holmes at some point during the film, and they used Basil Rathbone's voice for that. So, again, nice throwback to... Oh, yeah, I'd roots. forgotten about that. Like, uh, ba- uh, Basil of Baker Street is actually a mouse who lives in Sherlock's house. Yeah. And you see, um, like, uh, the sh- silhouette of Sherlock Holmes wandering around at some point in the movie. Yeah, he It's like, been a while since I've seen it. <clears throat> did you remember? Did, I'm sorry, I had to, I, you guys know I had to run away, take care of something real quick, but did you guys enjoy this one? Oh, well, I, we were just I, talking about how we hadn't seen it since we were, none of us have seen it recently. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I saw it, um, I saw it a while ago, yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it's your musical, it, Disney. It's very Disney. You have Ratigan as probably a really good villain, uh, as the rat who does not want to be called a rat. Right. Um, lots of nods to it. I'm like, Basil is the, uh, is the name of the, of the mouse because of Basil Rathbone. Uh, of course. Every single one of the names in the, in the coincides to even Toby, the name of the dog that's in this, uh, is the name of a dog from, one of the stories, but I toss it in there just because it involves, you know, it's a detective wears right. a, uh, well, deer, a deer hunter hat. It, it ties in with the old the old series as well, so that's that's kind of neat that they paid homage that way. Yeah, the deer stalker and the um, I don't know if he had a pipe, but yeah, he had a pipe. You can smoke in Disney movies back then. <laughs> Everyone was smoking. Have, yeah, he didn't even have to be on fire. <laughs> oh boy, here comes so, the dark time. Onto without a clue. All right, now. How many of us saw this ever? I, I saw, saw this the back theater. in the day. Okay. Yeah. How many saw it this week? After your glowing review? No. Yeah. None of us wanted to rush <clears throat> out and see it after your... Okay. Considering... Okay, if you were to tell me there's a, there is a Sherlock Holmes movie coming out and it has Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley... Dude! Right. This That's is... That's why I went and saw it in the theater. Yeah, I know. I saw it in the theater, too, and I vaguely recall stepping out of it and going, what? I mean, this should have been called Sherlock Holmes just paying the bills. <laughs> because... <laughs> well, I mean, it's a spoof about the idea that... Uh, Holmes, they're kind of reversing the characters where Holmes is a bumbling fool because it's not really Holmes. It's an actor hired to play him. Right. Yeah, it's the idea that Ben Kingsley plays Watson and he plays him. He's the person doing coming with all these solutions because in his social circles as a doctor, it's not really accepted. Nobody buys that he's, as they tried to put it, he's the crime doctor. He tries, at one point he fires Michael Caine and tries to go out on his own and nobody will take him seriously. Um... But it is, I mean, just 80s, terrible, just... 
not good. Too much slapstick? <clears throat> well, not just too much slapstick, but, I mean, there's... Okay, so there's um, in one scene, Michael Caine is uh, up on the uh, roof of, like, on the, on the back porch of the, apart- of the room that he's in. Somebody has sh- sawn off the rails, so he leans on the rails, flips forward, and the back of his uh, uh, coat hooks on the points on this on this wrought iron fence. Now, he's hanging out the window, right in front of Ben Kingsley's bedroom window. Ben Kingsley looks up when the screaming starts, and they literally do one of those, like, double takes with Ben Kingsley. Well, and- I, I could understand your expectations being at a certain place, knowing it's Ben Kingsley and Michael Caine. But, I mean, this this is almost like the era's version of an Adam Sandler movie with just the concept of, okay, we're not going to have Bumbling Watson and Genius Holmes. We're going to have Genius Watson and Bumbling Holmes. Right. And we're well, going to make, like, a lowbrow British comedy out of it's this concept. It's just a bummer because he had sexy Michael Caine, the patron saint of 40 going on 14. <laughs> and, you know, what's funny is I was reading about this when you first brought it up because I got excited. And I was reading on some some message boards about it, and somebody was like, "Why isn't this movie on uh, DVD or, or Blu-ray at this point? It's it never made it past VHS." And then when you gave us your review of it, I went, "Oh, yeah." And well, I do have to say, Jeffrey Jones as Inspector Lestrade was really good, though. See again, another yeah reason I mean, to see it. Well, I mean, uh, Paul Freeman uh, as James Moriarty. Uh, <sighs> From Raiders of the Lost Ark, from yep. Hot Fuzz. I mean, this that's the thing, is that you you, you look at the cast list, and you, Jeffrey Jones, Ben Kingsley, Michael Caine, Paul Freeman, um, trying to think who else. Uh, either way, those four right there, you should be like, wow, that's that's a pretty good cast. I think that's a great cast. And this is what comes out of it. I, I'm... I'm I'm gonna jump on blame the director. Let's see what else he did. Tom Everhart. I was just gonna look it up. Oh yeah, he's known for Captain Ron, Knight of the Comet. Right. And I, I some... mean, with that cast, you want it to be serious, not a, a Sherlock Holmes spoof. Right. Right. I think I think if they had if they had done it with Gene Wilder and uh, Dom DeLuise. Yeah. So maybe it would have made more sense. <laughs> it would have definitely made more sense. All right. So after this, <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait to hear about this one. All right. Sherlock Holmes <laughs> in the 22nd century. I is started, this a cartoon? This is a cartoon. Now, okay. uh, this takes place after uh, Moriarty and uh, Holmes have their battle at Reichenbach Falls. They fall to their death, quote-unquote death, into the, uh, into the waterfall below. And then it kicks forward to the 22nd century. They find Holmes. <laughs> it's okay. What? Oh my god! It's, I just looked it up. It is, this is a Fox Kids 1999. Yeah, with like take every negative connotation that that idea a Fox Kids cartoon from 1999 and apply it to this, and you are correct. Now wait, wait, wait! You got to hear the the theme song. Ready? That that's really. I mean, we we finished watching the opening titles, and then Suzanne turned to me and she goes, "Are we really going to do this?" <laughs> I, I mean, like, we could have written that theme song after a sub run. Sherlock Holmes in the twenty second century. <laughs> that's it's. But you gotta have uh, like a backbeat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta have. Oh God, what's his name? Firestarter doing the backbeat. <laughs> Prodigy. You gotta have Prodigy do the backbeat on that. Yeah, this is Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> this is pretty close to the second worst Sherlock Holmes adaptation that I 
watched. Oh wow, God, that just that that I mean, and and when they take they take um, uh, Watson's head and they put it on like a robot, they're like little robot. It, it's it only lasted one season, and it was like maybe so they both they both happen to be four hundred years old. I well, like Moriarty's a clone, but uh, all three of them are. are oh, that's the dumb. <laughs> that's the dumb. That is the yeah. best way. <laughs> That, yeah, they're working for New Scotland Yard with a uh, like great 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 granddaughter of Lestrade as their supervising officer. Yeah, uh, yeah, it all sucks. <clears throat> no, it it's terrible. And apparently, in the twenty second century, they have bridges uh, from building to building, and everything is covered in neon. But it's produced by Deke Entertainment. Yeah, this this is one of the like late nineties cartoons where they were starting to experiment with throwing random CGI into cartoons. Yeah. So yeah, they 20... use a CGI uh stained glass night from Young Sherlock. <laughs> In the twenty first century. <laughs> yeah, two seasons, twenty six episodes of this. Good lord, sweet baby Jesus. Yeah, Lord's it's uh, it's really terrible. Not good. They didn't even have like a great voice cast going on. Here. Yeah, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the voice cast. And I'm trying to find any redeeming feature on this whatsoever. And there's so many dead links on this that they're like, I don't even want people to know that I was involved with this. <laughs> like the two leads are Gilbert Gottfried and Flavor Flav. <laughs> Not the even makers. that good. That would be a step up. <laughs> and the makers of Without a Clue comes Sherlock Holmes in the 21st century. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, now something else that came off came from the, <laughs> the the only voice actor in the entire thing is Kevin Pollock. He's just doing every voice. <laughs> Josh, you added board games: two two one B Baker Street and the Master Detective game. Oh, well, that uh, the Master Detective game is two twenty one B Baker Street. It's a subtitle. Oh, okay, I have I unfortunately have not played this. Really, you're like the board game master. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but I have a lot of them. But I know I just I've I have not played this one so. I mean, it's a deduction game. Uh, you've got uh, all the other. Uh, each player is trying to be Holmes, matching wits with everybody else. Uh, it's sort of a run around the board uh, meets clue type game. You got to collect clues from every location running around London. You've got a little checklist similar to Clue. Okay. So is it, I mean, how is it like with the running around London? Is it like um, Scotland Yard with that? You're chasing someone down? Uh, a little bit, but <clears throat> not quite. That's not like the focus mechanic. It's uh, is this the one you were talking about that there's not a whole lot of you know replay value? No, no, no. That's that's a that's a modern game which oh, we're going to okay. talk about in the second half. Okay. This is much more of a clue style board game where you've got a checklist and you're trying to run around getting clues and eliminating possibilities. It's like okay, if I'm here and I find out it's this, then it can't be this, and to get the solution before anybody else can hmm. seems like the the character and the storylines would set themselves up well for game adaptations but i suppose we'll talk about that more in the second half but well speaking of which uh there's a company called tree frog games that does something called a study in emerald is a game based off of combines call of cthulhu and sherlock holmes that is based off of a book written by neil gaiman <laughs> dude that sounds amazing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the main difference between 221B Baker Street and something like Clue is uh, you've got different cases where Clue is always Mr. Body died, run around, figure it out by sharing information. This is running around getting different clues and piecing it together uh, before anybody else can. But there are 20 different cases. Okay. Yeah, first published in 1975, and there have been tons of editions. Huh. Wow. Yeah, all the way from now up to 2014. 
Okay. Well, I mean, this is also one of those games where people can write, like, homegrown portions of it also. You can definitely alter, you know, just write your own adventures on this and then just publish them online, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were to take all of the cases that have ever been written for any edition, mm-hmm. uh, you'd have a total of 180 different ones. Oh. Jeez. So I'm going to have to pick this up. So there's some <clears throat> replay value also, yeah. Definitely. All right. Now, any other, uh, before we step into break and go to the uh, now? I wanted to mention a, a strange off uh, novel adaptation. Uh, it's only notable uh, because of who wrote it. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar at all with Twin Peaks. Yeah. Most yeah, people uh, think of one half of Twin Peaks, David Lynch, but uh, there's a series of novels written by Mark Frost, the other half of the duo. That is Holmes inspired. Hmm. Um, Frost. I should have written it down. Uh, it's the game of six. No, the no, the list. List of seven. Oh, are they actually doing a movie? The list of seven is written by Mark Frost, and the main character is actually Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, and Arthur Conan Doyle in this particular instance is a character very much like Watson. Uh, He's brought into a case. They've got a lot of uh, people of the time, of the late 1800s, uh, the famous spiritualist Helena Blavatsky. Uh, It very, very quickly gets into something occult mixed up with murder and conspiracy, and then he runs into this mysterious British secret agent uh, called Jack Sparks, who is very obviously the analog to Sherlock Holmes. And he's got his uh, cocaine addiction. He's got the deductive powers. And uh, they uh, end up clashing with a lot of the luminaries of the era. You run into Bram Stoker at one point. Wow. Well, in trying to quickly type up what you just were talking about, Josh, Mm -hmm. I came across a movie that actually has Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as a character. In the 22nd century. (laughs) No, it's even better than that. Um, 1997, fairy tale, a true story. After enduring family tragedies, young cousins Elsie and Frances spend time in a rural Yorkshire, England, where they see fairies in a nearby meadow, then snap pictures of the fairies, which suddenly gain international notoriety. Author Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, played by Peter O'Toole, announces that he's a believer, though Harry Houdini, played by Harvey Keitel, however, is a skeptic. What? I can't see. (laughs) I'm going to do this magic trick, (laughs) fucker. I'm going to make your pinky disappear. Yeah, if you guys have have the time to check out the list of seven or the sequel, The Six Messiahs, it's one of those where it's like not a super deep book, but uh, it's written with uh, like a page turner kind of action style where it's hard to put down. Okay. And it was almost made into a movie in 2013. Guillermo del Toro was interested in making the list of seven as a movie. And then uh, it turns out that once the Guy Ritchie films came out, so many of the same ideas were present that he shelved the project. Oh, that's unfortunate. So, but we'll talk about those movies in the second half. Yes. So that's that's all I've got from then. Yeah. Hey, I just realized we're doing another Conan show. <sighs> all right. This is why we don't do things. <laughs> that's why we shouldn't be up this early. All right. We'll be back, folks. Elementary, my dear Brown. 
that's a terrible lead-in. Like, yeah, it really is. Especially, <laughs> although it's worth talking about because we didn't say this in the uh, first half. That that's kind of like a play it again, Sam. Where Elementary, my dear Watson, never stated once in the sixty uh, canon works. I thought it was once. Nope. Uh, Elementary, my dear Watson, appeared in an Agatha Christie book uh, later that was inspired by uh, Sherlock Holmes. Hmm. He uh, frequently said uh, his conclusions were elementary in nature and frequently called Watson, my dear Watson, but never together in the in the canon work. Hmm. Josh read Agatha Christie, too. So Um, something that we we uh, uh, well, we didn't miss because there's just so much out there. But something I thought of when I came downstairs that I just wanted to mention real quickly is along with the films, the books and like um, the radio plays and whatnot, there was also comic strips and comic books. Um, There was three different strips that appeared in American newspapers starting in 1930. And then, of course, the comic books started. I mean, uh, I don't even know how far back here looking at the the list, but I mean, it's been another series of adaptations that have been going pretty much for as long as the films have for the most part. Hmm. So yet another branch of media that is affected by Sherlock. Yeah, and with that revelation, I think Patrick and I were kind of both right, where it's got like the Game of Thrones thing where it's huge and the works are still being written, but it's also got the reach and cultural like penetration of something like the Marvel Universe. That's crazy to me. Yeah, just one character that a guy came up with when he was hanging out one time, wrote it down, poof. So we ready to get into the uh, modern movies, starting with probably the Guy Ritchie stuff? Yeah. Um, Excuse me. So, uh, let's see, it was 2009 when uh, Robert Downey Jr. kicked in as Sherlock Holmes and the Guy Ritchie with Jude Law, Rachel McAdams, and Mark Strong as Sherlock Holmes with John Watson, Irene Adler, and Lord Blackwood, who was the villain. Um, A totally different take on... uh, on uh, Sherlock Holmes, I think. Well, this, um, is, this Sherlock Holmes is much more um, fisticuffs and and um, physically able to take care of his own self. Well, and that's very clear in the books, but not as much in the other movies. Uh, in the books, uh, w- there's a scene where uh, Holmes goes up against a boxer and says, hey, yeah, we, we fought each other in an underground fight four years ago and the boxer's just like oh, then you've wasted your talents you could have been the greatest boxer ever <laughs> and another one where like a strong man tries to impress all of them by uh, bending a poker and Holmes <laughs> after the guy leaves he's like well if it stuck around I, I could have shown him that my grip's not that much weaker and Holmes straightens out the poker with his bare hands <laughs> so yeah he was an expert swordsman expert cane fighter <clears throat> Martial artist and boxer in the books, but they abandoned yeah. that for a lot of you know a lot of decades. It didn't come back up again until this series. True yeah, it was story. always seemed to be more about his wits and figuring out and outwitting his opponents than it was. I, I, I remember reading physicality. an interview, yeah, you know, with with Robert Downey Jr. when they started this series, and that was one of the things he talked about. He's like, yeah, you know, most people don't know that he actually was a pugilist, and you know, and they're gonna blah blah blah. So yeah, he well, well the I mean, just looked up the um, thing. Apparently, he was an expert at something called single stick, which is uh-huh. uh, using a Cain as a weapon. Yep. And that he does it in the movie also. Which one of the things I, I love about the movies is Jude Law's adaptation of, of Watson, which I don't know if it's closer to the books, but the two of them together are, are almost equal in a lot of ways in terms of solving the, the mysteries. And they're little, in, in those movies, they're a lot more equal in their partnership. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and the way that he plays him is such a wonderful counterpoint to Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of eccentricities that I... 
I'm personally a fan of both of these movies. I, I, I think they're really, really fun and, and well done. I actually enjoy them as well. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think the casting of Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law is solid. Rachel McAdams, I think, is an incredibly underrated actress. And she's got a terrific hiney. <laughs> well, and it was, I mean, it's kind of unfortunate um, that you know, how that played into the sequel. And I love Numi Rapace, Rapace who's in the, the second one, but, um, well, and then you've got Faye who plays, uh, Jude Law's fiance, who's another underrated actress. I can't yeah, think of her last name all of a sudden. Honestly, I, I liked, uh, Game of Shadows for the actual finally confronting Moriarty and bringing in Stephen Fry's Mike Ruff Holmes. But I thought overall it was much, much weaker movie shoehorning in another love interest. Like it's, it's got a lot of problems that are common to like Hollywood sequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Jared Harris as Moriarty, come on. Oh yeah. That's, I, that's the reason why I say I didn't dislike the movie, but because Moriarty was so awesome. Yeah. But they did a disservice to the character by giving him another love interest. Oh, absolutely. Because one of the key things about Irene Adler is that Holmes is dismissive, almost contemptuous of every woman who isn't Irene Adler. As far as he's concerned, she's the only woman worth considering. Uh, he is otherwise incredibly sexist and chauvinistic, where he views all other normal people as beneath him and women even beneath them, except for her. There's a great uh, line in that you just reminded me of uh, somebody lampooning uh, someone, and he said, I, I think of women like China, and I know China is the enemy. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, and the the other thing that, that uh, was a stylistic choice of Guy Ritchie, I think, was the whole thing where he sees ahead of time, like that scene with the the opening scene with the boxing, where he, he, he figures out what's going to happen before he does it, and then he does it, and it all happens the way that he was expecting, for the most part. You know, that whole, I'm two steps ahead or five steps ahead of my opponent. It was just fascinating to watch that. The crowd goes mild. No, no, no. Uh, (laughs) I I was trying to agree with you, but I didn't realize I was muted. Sorry. (laughs) The only other thing that I think I have to say about these two films is uh, we've seen some of the stuff before in terms of his deduction, rapid fire, disguise change. But the one thing I had never seen before is the combination of him using his deductive abilities mid combat fight scene where they do the slow down time and he figures out exactly what's going to to happen in what order and what he has to do and then it speeds up to show it happen i thought that was an awesome device yeah and that's i i like that they're giving his uh the voiceover when they do it too that's that's one yeah, of ex- explaining what's going through his head yeah yeah you know and then you know hit to the solar plexus you know then this happens then this happens you know it's like that that sort of thing i think is very cool i like like that and also someone i forgot to mention but eddie marsan as uh inspector lestrade oh mm-hmm. is also really yes. a really good casting for this so so on to what I think I'm most excited to talk about, probably. Oh, yeah. BBC Sherlock. Oh, I thought we were going back to Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century. In the 22nd, the 22nd century. century. Wouldn't that be forward to 22nd century? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we've it's entered a, a time paradox. It's a twee all over again. <laughs> Elementary, my dear Whaley. <laughs> So, Welcome to 40 Going on 14. Wow. <laughs> 2010, BBC produces Sherlock with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes, Martin Freeman as Dr. John Watson, uh, Una Stubbs, Una? Una Stubbs yeah, as Una Mrs. Stubbs. Hudson, Rupert Graves as Lestrade, and Andrew Scott as Jim Moriarty. 
and the fangirls go wild. I have two Sherlock fangirls in my home, and Katie actually has a painted picture of Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes in her in her room. <laughs> she painted wow. herself? No, she bought it at uh, C2E2 last year, but you know, there's a heck of a lot worse things they could be into. This show is really smart. It's so good. First, when I discovered that the seasons were three episodes, I was like, that's sort of disappointing. And then I realized each episode is the length of a feature film. Yeah. Well, and you figure that the pedigree behind it when you've got Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis. I mean, if you're a Doctor Who fan, of course, you go, eee! but then when you put them in a totally different kind of series, but with a lead that is also very much using his intellect versus uh, weapons and guns and whatnot. That's a weapon, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't quite realize how much I would enjoy it. Well, And the Holmes in this is no slouch in combat, although right. uh, Martin Freeman's military, Dr. Watson, is definitely the better shot. Yeah. Yeah, Watson in this one right, was, he was more of a, I don't want to say shock, but more of a twist than because yeah. uh, you know that, in well in the previous books, you know that Watson is was a military doctor, but you never they, they're just, they never really go into they it They always focus much. more on the doctor than the military. Yeah. Right. Where this, you've got it starting with Watson with a bit of PTSD, kind of retreating from life until he finds someone more broken than he is. Yes. And that first scene where you've got Cumberbatch's homes, like showing off for the police with all the cell phones. Oh, that's it's like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I'm totally in. I'm 100% behind this company. <laughs> that was the point, because I initially was like, didn't know who Benedict was. I knew who Martin Freeman was like, the Hobbit? Oh, I love him as Okay, let's 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 take a look. And the, when oh, they, just, uh, Jim from the from the office from the office too, right? I yeah, have I was a gonna confession say. to make. I've never watched the office. <gasps> it surprises me that you are that Martin Freeman wasn't on your radar radar until the Hobbit. <laughs> radar. radar? radar. <laughs> I grew into being a fan of him after seeing The Hobbit. I never quite understood his appeal. But then seeing this, I mean, it just sealed the deal for sure. Yeah, the the cell phone scene was that was I agree with you, Josh, was that was also that point where I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I could do this. Uh, and ben, as a high-functioning sociopath, Sherlock Holmes, he's a lot more self-aware, I think, than any other one that we've seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of uh, disagreement online of whether he actually is somebody with antisocial personality disorder or if he's just got Asperger's and is kind of a dick. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the same thing I was going to bring up, too. I mean, because in this, you get a very much more, at least in terms of in-show, unlikable character in a lot of ways. But... That's just because of the way he, he talks to people and treats people. And the adaptation of Moriarty, I've, I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> it's crazy the way Andrew Scott plays him. Yeah, and, well, Moriarty, first of all, Moriarty's fantastic in this one. And Pat got to the the pool scene. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I really don't want to spoil anything for Pat, but uh, you definitely have to continue with this on into the second series where you finally get their interpretation of Hound of the Baskervilles and their interpretation of the final problem in the battle at Reichenbach Falls. Yeah. It's, it's just spectacular <clears throat> in every way. I will keep watching. Yeah, yeah and this... I'm trying to think the way. What? Go ahead. One of the scenes I liked the the, the most it was just like the the look on on uh, Sherlock's face when they're in his apartment and they're like we're here on, you know on drug charges looking for drug paraphernalia and Watson's like we're well, not gonna find anything like that here and Sherlock's just like meh, meh. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, and that's the thing. It's like oh, I I like the interaction between Watson and Holmes in this one because it's 
Watson's broken too. Sherlock is definitely broken. Watson is almost holding up a mirror to Sherlock in this one and actually letting him know because there's so many times where he will make a comment like when he was talking to the lab technician and commented about her makeup. He has literally has no clue that what he said was socially bad. Right. You know, yeah. he, he doesn't. He, I think the interaction between the two of them is great because what Sherlock does in this one, there's times where Watson's just like, dude, really? And he has no clue that uh, that what he's doing or that, that what he's doing is is not just normal stuff. It, it reminds me of something I've said a couple times to a couple people in the past. It's like, just because something is true doesn't mean it has to be said. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a character like that doesn't understand, you know, that concept. It's like, no, it's just, you know, this is true, so why not just say it? <laughs> like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, another Asperger sufferer, sort of. Yep. He's enjoying every minute of it. Right. <laughs> I have selective Aspergers. I just, you know. You're just an ass. Um, I mean, I the like whole her. series was was inspired. I mean, you get the, it's one of those perfect storm scenarios where you've got the right combination of actors, writers, directors, producers to create something that um, really, I think, will stand us at the test of time and has created a whole fandom, just like some of the other shows we've done about other pop culture things, you know, like Star Trek launched, and things like that. Launched Benedict Cumberbatch and to celebrity status. Absolutely. And now that uh, Doctor Strange principal photography's finished, they've started work on Series 4, and so it's going to be another year before we, we get to see it, but I'm willing to wait. Absolutely. And when that happens and Doctor Strange comes out, I mean, he's going to be everywhere. I mean, more so than he is now. I don't want to I don't want to derail this conversation but too much but the pictures of him as Doctor Strange are just freaking amazing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Again. They did the most difficult thing in a comic adaptation. They took a classic con- uh comic book costume that would look kind of doofy in real life and made it look badass without betraying the original design. Oh, yeah. Well, and they didn't go the X-Men route and just make a bunch of black leather. Yep. Right. They didn't cop cop out on it either, so. Well, and they found the right guy to play the part. So, anyway. All right. So, on to the uh, 2012 elementary elementary series. Sell me on this, Josh. I haven't seen any of these. Uh, Remember when I said that uh, the Fox series cartoon in the 22nd century was the second worst <laughs> Sherlock adaptation I watched. I was wondering where we were gonna, when we were going to get oh. to number one. Yeah, it's oh. elementary. Oh, dear. Well, oh. But it's let's that bad, stop. Huh? I like what you did there, though. That was cool. <laughs> well, hold on just a second, <laughs> though. It's a good cast, though. Right. That's the thing. It's in its fourth season. You've got Johnny Lee Miller, who I think all of us can agree we've been a fan of in some regards since Hackers. Um, Lucy Liu, Aiden Quinn. I mean, right there, it's enough to go, yeah, I should watch that. It's without yeah, a clue all over sure. again. Train spotting. What? It, was Hackers, Hackers was before. before. Okay. Uh, yeah. The, the problem is, like, so. maybe part of it is that it came out so close in proximity to the BBC series. But, like, even Johnny Lee Miller, his portrayal of Holmes seems to be mostly sneering and scowling and occasionally just doing things we've seen actors do as Holmes a hundred times before. And most of the deductions are less impressive than we're used to. Uh, Lucy Liu is underused. Uh, it's like, okay, you're instead of John Watson, you've got Joan Watson, and you've decided, okay, we've made the character female, and we're not going to do anything else interesting with her. <laughs> we're, we're done doing <laughs> <laughs> it's like, That's the, cre- the creative process. They're all in a boardroom, and they're like, let's make her female. Yes, and we're done with that character. Let's move on to the next one. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, that's development. We're just going to gender swap the character. And 
that's it pisses me off because they do that so often where it's just like if you're a white dude character you're going to have something else to differentiate yourself from all the other white dude characters and then it's like oh that's the asian guy that's the woman that's <laughs> well, well and, and that, that was, that's chinese, what differentiates her she's not a man she's a chinese woman that's enough moving on well <laughs> i think i josh i i'm while i'm i'm always there to knock the bar lower uh, USA Network. Have you seen Sherlock? What? I have not seen Sherlock. It's it's spelled. I'm not I'm not joking now. It's on IMDb. Lowercase s, capital H E R, lowercase L O C K. Sherlock. Oh God. Starring Helen Davies as Sherlock Holmes, Lisa Bunker as Joanna Watson, Cherry how, Lemonade as Mrs. Hudson or as Mr. Hudson. This, Who the not, hell is Cherry Lemonade? How the hell is this not Tyler Perry's Sherlock? <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we completely move past elementary, though, one of the issues I have with it, besides the performances, is the scripts are terrible. I recently, I want to make sure I hit their Hound of the Baskervilles episode, okay? because I, I've been focusing on Baskervilles as one of the big cases, right? and it felt to me like an episode of Murder, She Wrote, <laughs> where you've got the setup for the mystery, then the rapid succession of three or four fake suspects that are discarded and then a comically uh, easy trap for the killer at the end where it's like, ha ha, we got you and you gave yourself away. That and required they, like no deduction, no detective work. And then they take off the mask and it's actually Mr. Stevens. <laughs> no, that's well, Scooby-Doo. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. But, let's but point like, out that this once again is in the modern day as well. Right. And that, even if that was interesting, I've already got my modern day adaptation of Sherlock and it's good. Oh, my I mean, God. I just looked at the cast list. Reese Ephens is playing Mycroft Holmes, and Natalie Dormer is playing Moriarty. It's a female Moriarty, too. What? And again, great casting. John Pertwee is in it. I uh, love Natalie Dormer. Uh, I mean, you. come on. It's Stuart Townsend, good. Vinnie Jones? Man. <laughs> How is this not better? I'm offended and With, hurt. Without a clue, all over again. Well, who, like, who, are the, who are the writers and directors and creators? That's the uh, people who wrote Sherlock Holmes in the 21st century, I'll bet. <laughs> Quick, hire them. They made a, a hit TV show. Robert Doherty is a creator. Um, Known for Star Trek Voyager and Medium. Well, Medium was a great show. True Calling had a cast. Dark Angel. <laughs> True uh, Calling had a cast. Had, a, had Not a cast, had a following. Oh, okay. Oh. I mean, Sorry. to answer your Had a cast was a much better review, though. Is I this has an awesome cast, but then again, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe were in Virtuosity. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, awesome cast does not mean it's not a pile of shit. Mm -hmm. That's true, but I mean, what, what was that? Oh, God, what was that movie? Um, with everybody in it in the eighties, that was so awful. Cannonball Run. No. Cannonball yeah, Run Cannibal Two. Cannonball Run Two. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks was in it, and Julia Roberts. It was um in the eighties. Money Pit. Uh, bonfire of the vanities oh oh well I that was, that well, was i think weird. people were just offended that they bastardized the book so much yeah but I mean, the book was so well loved and talk still about is. A, talk about a cast that was a crazy right. yeah. <clears throat> so anyway. you guys watched mr holmes which i didn't get to but i, I want to hear about oh uh -huh. 
All right, so Mr. Holmes, <clears throat> 2015. We're not gonna. There's no. We're calling no spoilers on this one. Yeah, not uh, very much to spoil anyway. Ian McKellen plays an elderly Sherlock Holmes who is dealing with senility kicking in and the fact that he can't remember his last case. And the whole time he's also interacting with Milo Parker, who is the uh, plays Roger, who is the son of Ms. Monroe, the housekeeper who where and where he lives. And it falls back into a lot of the canon stuff where he takes up beekeeping after his uh after his um retirement and he goes to japan to talk to uh uzma how do i can't say that name umazaki umazaki to uh get this um prickly ash yes. that's supposed to help him with the senility kicking in and him losing his memory and it is it's not a sherlock Holmes mystery it is a period piece set right after world war ii where you see one one of the most uh gripping scenes is sherlock holmes seeing the repercussions of the nuclear bombs being dropped and walking amongst walking in nagasaki looking for this uh this ash with umazaki but it's First off, Ian McKellen is amazing as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, for for the one thing that I took uh, that I immediately saw with this is Ian McKellen plays Sherlock Holmes back when he was doing his final case, where he was in good health and he's chasing after her, this woman who he's trying to figure out why she's significant because he has this picture of her and he's the idea is that he's writing this story to figure out what happened because it's not he can't he can't remember it so little by little this story is coming back to him. Um, his ability to play the healthy end of his career, Sherlock Holmes, and then in the very next scene, play the 93-year-old Sherlock Holmes who is on his, you know, last legs, tottering around the house, can't stand up straight. He is just an amazing actor for this role. Joel? Yeah. Well, and then the other, that one of the other fun aspects of it is as he's interacting with people around him, he's he's still a little bit uh, antisocial and off when people talk to him. But, you know, they're like, oh, where's the deerstalker hat or where's the pipe? And he's like, oh, that was all embellishments that were created for, you know, the, the fictionalization of it. And there's a great scene where he goes to a movie theater to watch one of the films that was made about him and he's standing in line waiting for the film and then they show him inside the theater watching and kind of you know reacting to this portrayal of him on the screen which is the more traditional portrayal which ironically was something we talked about earlier is played by the the kid who young sherlock um plays him in the film version um the film within the film but it it has elements of him trying to deduce this mystery but the mystery is of himself you know of his own kind of realization that he no longer has the same faculties that he had once before and it's it's a really slow burn um there's it's an actor's film it's directed by bill condon who uh, most people will know for uh uh, Dream Girls and Gods and Monsters, The Fifth Estate, you know, very heavy drama pieces. But there's a sequence towards the end where you see that he's you see that uh, personality of his really come out when the, the kid that he's pretty much tied into the whole film is basically lying in a almost a comatose state, having been stung by something and near death. And he goes out, sees it, reacts, goes inside, calls the for the police and goes back outside without telling the mother who's standing right there what's going on. She figures out that something's wrong, runs out there after him and asks him, you know, why didn't you tell me this? And he's just just the reaction he has to it. It's something you have to see what he says to her. But the words that come out of his mouth are pure what you imagine 
imagine Sherlock would do in that situation. Well, I mean, yeah. we, I don't think that that'd be too much of a spoiler for the. But he he looks at her and he's just like it wouldn't make a difference. Right. He's just like it. It you know it never occurred to him to tell her he had more important things to do to get in the this there getting telling her wouldn't have made changed anything in the situation. But uh, Laura Linney is Ms. Monroe as is the housekeeper who is dealing with. An elderly Sherlock Holmes who, first off, I mean, you, you think about this is a guy who know, whose knowledge knows no bounds. And it, one of the, one of the scenes, the doctor that he has, Dr. Barry, played by Roger Allen, um, he tells him to take this diary and make it mark every time that you forget something. And it's really tragic to see Ian, Mc, I mean, to see Sherlock, you know, writing the names of this kid Roger on his sleeve so he remembers his name. You know, it's that sort of like seeing this great man being brought down, but and how he deals with it in the interaction with Ms. Monroe and Roger the kid. But I, I mean, it, this is one of the, like, okay, to put an example, like when we start watching a movie for these, nine times out of ten, Katie will be sitting next to us and about halfway through it, she's like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> she sat through the whole thing. I mean, it is really just a great gripping, um, like a character piece on Sherlock Holmes at the end of his end of his career and life. I mean, it's just I I could easily watch this again, though not too soon after watching it the first time. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it sounds like it's a much more hard hitting and like character study of a man who his mind was everything and he's losing it piece by piece than what we've come to expect. Which oh yeah, you could have told that story any other way. And it would have been interesting, but doing it with a character like this, that his entire career and fame and everything else that went with it was based on the, his ability to recall facts and put together the pieces of the puzzle. And here he can't even remember the name of the person he sees every single day. You know, it's 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 heartbreaking and it's just fascinating. Yeah. So. And it, it really I mean, you guys know that I, you know, I shared a house with my grandmother until she died when she was 96. There was a lot of me dealing with, you know, watching him having to handle being around the house. And I identified with um, Ms. Monroe so much in this because you're seeing somebody who you know, who you know, has this background and little by little they're deteriorating. Um, it really, I mean, I, this is one of those, you know, one of the, let's say one of the few movies that we've watched on this show that I haven't been like, why the hell did I do that? But, right. um, I've give it a thumbs up. All right. So before we move on to like final thoughts, I want to talk a little bit about the character in other media. Uh, since 2002, looking at uh, console and computer games, they've done a series uh, that has been titled The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes that has been on various consoles all the way up to the newest one that's going to be coming out in a couple months. And uh, I believe you have one of these, Mike. You've already played them. Yeah, I've been playing. Um, I've just lost the name, Josh. I have. I have the one that came out for the PS3. Uh, it. It's not. It's a 3D. I don't. It's not even action. It's a, it's a mystery. It's game. It's an adventure game. It's an adventure uh, game. But like it's not. we talked about uh, in our show a couple of months ago. Yeah, it's kind of like it's got those point and click type of uh, play play mechanics to it, where you can put on like like a Sherlock vision, where you you tap the button, you get to see certain things stand out. But like detective vision on Arkham Asylum, that type of thing. Kind of. Yeah, but more of a like everything stops and you can zoom in on tiny details like the way you'd see in the BBC show and then you can pick from a list of what is significant about what Sherlock is zoomed in on and then it goes to full time and your dialogue will be affected by what you've chosen to see as significant about all the little things that Holmes notices. 
Right. And huh. the, another cool play mechanic is the um, deduction air points. Is you 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 it's where normally you would have like case notes. This you go into the case notes and you're like inside his brain. So you see all these different nodes and the electrical impulses going across the brain. And you start off on this node and it, you have all the different categories, all the different things that you came across while doing the case. Like you know uh, this these are the initials that was on the blood stained notebook. This is what was on the napkin. This is what ha- what you saw on this. And you take two parts of that and you put them together and then little but it'll light up and you go to another node. So you basically put something of the case together and then you jump to the next next uh, logical sequence to it. Now, the one you played, Mike, was that Testament of Sherlock Holmes or Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishments? Crimes and Punishment. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, if you're looking for an action-packed, you know, like, uh, you know, um, uh, crud, the Robert Downey Jr. type Sherlock Holmes thing. No, it's not. It's very much playing, you're almost playing a book. I enjoy it. It's very, it's very good game for like when you just want to chill and play a game. It's not anything that you're going to be, you know, it's nothing running and gunning or anything like that. But right, it's more of the like life is strange, Walking Dead, like right. we talked about in the adventure game show. Yeah, very. And much there's so. a basset hound. Yes, I just was looking at screenshots. Sorry. Yeah. Oh so in addition to these, and I know there are other games in development where there is a little bit more Sherlock Holmes type combats, but since none of us have played them, I'm going to skip over those and get to a game which i haven't gotten to yet but i am really looking forward to this is the board game sherlock holmes consulting detective uh Mm. the interesting thing about sherlock holmes consulting detective is it's got the case breakdowns very similar to 221b baker street but instead of being kind of a generic clue style where you're solving the mystery by going around collecting the clues uh uh, before anyone else can and just checking off boxes, this is a strong story narrative type game where you go and you perform the investigations, almost choose your own adventure style where someone has a master case book that says what you determine, what you discover when you go to the various uh, spots and then the players together are coming up with solving the mystery. I mean, it does limit the replay value. Basically, you can only, as a person, go through each case once because there is a single solution to each case. But uh, people have lauded this game as the closest thing to feeling like a Sherlock Holmes detective collecting the evidence, drawing your conclusions, and seeing if you're right of any board game in the genre from Clue all the way forward. Do you think this might or has this spawned like a fan base where they would write more adventures for it like the other one? I think that that is very uh, likely. I mean, the game is pretty new. Looking at, I'm bringing it up on Board Game Geek right now. Um, let's see. It, it's actually been around longer than I thought. It was first published in 1981 and was recently reprinted, it looks like. Okay. Well, that sounds, I'm again, something that, uh, you know, I definitely want to check out. I mean, I love my board games. It looks yeah, pretty you cool. Do. It, lo- it looks almost like, like a less complicated, uh, well, actually, no, a, a more complicated mystery, but less complicated scenario, how to host a mystery, kind of, how to host a murder kind of thing. Right. More board gaming and less, uh, performance. Less RP, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or like dinner party, but more the, like the mystery is more complicated, and you got to yeah, and you don't have to dress up, so it sounds more, like a lot more a lot more up my alley than a <laughs> right than more how to host a murder thing. More Arthur Conan Doyle, less twenty second century, <laughs> <laughs> and these are. Uh, Cooperative games, which is a genre board game that I've always loved. The 82 edition comes with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cases. 
Oh, nice. And it was uh, a the most prestigious board game is the German Spiel der Jahr, and it won it in 85. So I figure it was definitely worth talking about, although I would have placed it in uh, then had I known. Uh, it's been so popular lately uh, with the 2014 reprint that I actually assumed this was a new game. Cool. Wow. So uh, until... Um... So we got on Sherlock Holmes until later on in 2018 when Nomeo and Juliet, Sherlock Gnomes, comes out. <laughs> going to be played by Johnny Depp. Uh, holy but we're crap. not going to talk about that. <clears throat> we're not going to talk about Holy crap, I can't believe I, I just brought that up. I have the original. But... I have a traditional 40 going on 14 question, but since it seems obvious, I'm going to phrase it a little differently. Does anyone have a representation of Sherlock Holmes or Watson, the whole story, that they enjoy better than the BBC's Sherlock? For me, the answer to that question is no. So, but I'm curious if anyone feels differently that there's something they like better than the Cumberbatch Freeman. I don't think I've seen enough of it yet to say that it would be my favorite because, well, having started with Basil Rathbone and then coming to enjoy and watching multiple times the Guy Ritchie adaptation, for now I'll go with uh, the uh, Robert Downey Jr. take on it. But I have a feeling once I delve into the later seasons of Sherlock, um, since I've only watched the first season so far, that that would probably change. I I think there's too much of a big too much of a dividing line. Does that make sense? I like I love Basil Rathbone's Sherlock Holmes. I think it's amazing. I think he it's just one of the best interpretations of it. But it is so far and cry different than Sherlock that I can't compare the two. I mean, for the then I'm gonna go with Basil Rathbone the whole entire time. For the now, even though I love Robert Downey Jr., I'm probably have to go with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. All right. How about Patrick? you, Pat? Uh, my favorite was uh, Michael Caine in Without a Clue. You're an ass. <laughs> no, it's <That's> not. <laughs> um, I would I would honestly have to go with Robert Downey Jr. Simply because as much as I like Benedict Cumberbatch and as much as I like his acting, he just doesn't look like Sherlock Holmes to me. So for some – and maybe it's only because I've only been three episodes in. I just haven't gotten used to him yet. I don't know. Robert Downey does? A little bit more, yeah. I mean – Weird. I don't, yeah, I, I, I feel the opposite. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'm with you, Josh. I think I think Sherlock definitely looks more like Holmes would nowadays than. But yeah. there you go. So what are we talking about next week? It's been a while since we've had a food show. Oh yeah, we, we gotta get down with some buffets. Oh, definitely gonna have to declare my uh, my buffet strategy next week. Still <laughs> my all all time highest rated uh, Reddit comment. <laughs> laying that out. <laughs> Before. Yeah, I am. Um, as, as my father uh, used to say, and I agree with him. Uh, no one, him. no one should eat all they can eat. But I am definitely going to be beating that up this week. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I'm looking at a buffet near me, Hollywood Casino Aurora. Is this the look of a man who has had all he can eat? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you go. You be here for an hour. You go now. I was waiting for that to kick in. Yeah, buffets. We're. I mean, we we that, that buffet at Hollywood. By the way, if it's still, I mean, it used to be really good. Back when I played poker there. I know, it's got a 1.9 rating right now. Mm. Out of? 20. 7. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about New China Buffet. We're going to talk about Sweet Tomatoes. Vegas, baby. Vegas. Yeah, we're going to go through all sorts of buffets. Probably all the way back from like Ponderosa and uh, Bob's Big Boy as a child. Yeah. Golden uh, Corral. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, this is one of those, you know, we talked about it. It didn't really seem like it would be a thing. But then we realized we had a lot of buffet eating. And <laughs> for, for some of us, it's more obvious than others. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to this day, the buffet. Yes. 
So. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to go eat a golden corral. Oh. <laughs> so if you'd like to check out any of our older shows, our previous topics that we've touched on here, our previous food shows, adventure games, etc., you can check out our archives on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, other fine podcasting directories. Yep. Soon we'll be on a Google Voice Podcasts. Yeah. As soon as that shows up, and uh, 708 now wrap is 708-669-9727 is a way to get in touch with us. You can also find us on Twitter at at 40go14 and get us on email at 40go14 at gmail.com. And uh, also, head over to uh, 40go14. We uh, changed up the webpage a little bit. Yeah, it is uh, much... I've always liked our website. I think the current version is the best version of the website, the most useful. So yeah, go check that out. Yeah. Until then, we'll be filling up our plates, getting ready for the buffet show for next week. Woof. Yeah. Are we going to do like a before and after of the buffet eating? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No. Check our Twitter feed for the after. Um, (laughs) Ew. All right. I'm going to go get more coffee. Did somebody just squeeze the chicken? (laughs) That was supposed to be a clown shoe, but I ran out of honk. (laughs) 